Today's Bible reading is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness, righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surprising, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Jesus, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Um, my name's Archie. As we've said, uh, I'm the pastor in training just down the road uh, in Brunsfield. Uh, and it's a real joy to be opening this passage in particular for you this morning. I think this passage is a, a real treasure. Uh, we've seen already how it has directly inspired so many uh, of our great songs. Um, and much of what we've done this morning already has preached it for me. Um, but it is a wonderful passage. Just before we uh, open it together, let me pray once more. Heavenly Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to begin, really, by thinking a bit about self-confidence. Here are just some, some quotes to get us thinking. The first... Uh, There he is, uh, lead singer of Queen... Essentially, he is saying, isn't he, with enough willpower, you can be anything you want. Next one, this is Hillary Clinton, American politician. She ran uh, against Donald Trump. Same sentiment, right? Dream big. You can be anything you want. I guess there's actually a certain irony in that, isn't there, in that she didn't become a president. And it's not just the world around us, the culture around us. Christians do the same thing. Here's Tim Tebow a Christian-American football player. See what he has written under his eyes. That's Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, to the side. 
I'd actually quite like to give uh, Thibaut the benefit of the doubt here, but I do know lots of sports people who would apply exactly this verse like this. Because Jesus is on my team, I will be victorious. I can be and do whatever I want. You'll see as you come to the next chapter of this letter that that is not what Paul is saying at all. Uh, Last one, um, this was my English teacher, Mr. Lugden. He was a great teacher. He loved to say this. He said it all the time. And again, it's the same sentiment, isn't it? You can do anything you want to do. You can be anyone you want to be. You've just got to put your mind to it. You've just got to have a bit more self-confidence. That's what we're told. But it's just not true. At least it's not entirely true. Look, I'm a pretty self-confident sort of person. I'm also quite a sporty sort of person. But I don't have it in me to be an Olympic sprinter. And that's okay. It's just not something that I am capable of. There are lots of things in life that I am just not that gifted at. I definitely couldn't be an opera singer. Just ask my wife. To be confident won't get me anywhere. To be confident in my singing ability would be madness. There are things that we have to accept we just can't do. And that is nowhere more true than in the Christian life. We're constantly told, aren't we, by the culture around us to be more self-confident. And so I understand this can be quite a hard pill to swallow. But as far as me and God are concerned, my relationship with him, the security of an eternity with him, self-confidence is a waste of time. That's really what Paul is saying. Sorry, get this clicker. That's really what Paul is saying in our verses this morning. Having confidence in the flesh, as he puts it, that's just really self-confidence. As far as your Christian walk goes, that is a waste of time. Instead, we are to have confidence in knowing Christ. So that's where we're going this morning. From confidence in the flesh to confidence in knowing Christ. Uh, Before we get there, just a bit of a recap, I guess, of where you must have been in the last couple of months, what this uh, book, this letter to the church in Philippi is all about. And I think the first verse of our passage this morning is super helpful for us here. See what Paul says in verse one. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I'm sure you've seen this crop up in your studies in Philippians so far. The theme of joy and rejoicing is all over it. And it's really a joy and rejoicing in spite of suffering. Paul is writing this letter from prison. He's not having a particularly obviously joyful time. And in chapter 1, he is able to rejoice. I guess especially there at the gospel opportunities that his suffering has afforded him. But more than that, if you look at the rest of verse 1, I keep going the wrong way, I'll get used to it. Um, It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, And it is a safeguard for you. In other words, Paul is writing here to ensure the safety of the church in Philippi. Not, I think, their physical safety, but as we will see, their spiritual safety. To their safety in that way as a church. You saw in chapter 2, Paul lift up Christ as an example to them. He encourages them to have the mind of Christ. And especially his humility as they work out their salvation But now Paul's tone shifts here in chapter 3 as he seeks especially to safeguard the spiritual health of the church. A safeguard really against those who have attacked Paul and his message. 
Those who he suspects will infiltrate the church in Philippi. So what are those enemies of the church saying? Well, again, I think uh, our passage is helpful. Verses 2 and 3 give us a sort of introduction to our passage, both to the, the problem, what those opposing the gospel are saying, and to Paul's solution. So verse 2, uh, the problem. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. Uh, Paul does not mince his words here. That is spectacularly insulting what he is saying. See, he describes them as as dogs. And um, Katie and I just got a puppy a couple of weeks ago. She's adorable. Look at her. That's Crumpet. And when I when I read dogs like this, that's what I think of, right? Labradors, spaniels, uh, domesticated, fluffy little things. But this is nothing like that. Maybe a little bit more like this. Uh, I appreciate these guys are actually still quite cute. You have no idea how hard it is to find a picture of street dogs that are not also quite cute. But if you've ever been to a city like Mumbai uh, or Bucharest or Nairobi, places like that in the world, it's the sort of scraggly, rabid, stray street dogs. That's much more like the sort of dogs known to Paul in the New Testament world. And it's a brutal insult. Uh, It was an insult very often actually used by Jews uh, of non-Jewish people, of pagans and Gentiles. And we'll see uh, there's a certain irony to the way that Paul uses it here. But before we see uh, the irony, there's more. Uh, What is it that these evildoers are being accused of? They are mutilators of the flesh. Uh, To mutilate something, to disfigure it, to violently injure it. And the pagans and the Gentiles around Israel would mutilate their flesh, literally cut and burn themselves in an attempt to get the God's attention. But again, Paul is using the phrase ironically here, because in verse 2, he says it is we who are the circumcision. In other words, we are the true circumcision, not them. Paul is taking the sort of insults that Jews would use for Gentiles, dogs and mutilators of the flesh, and he turns them around. He turns them onto those who are saying that in order to be a Christian, if you are becoming a Christian, having been a Gentile, a non-Jew, then first you must become Jewish. First you must be circumcised like us. You must mutilate your flesh in that way. You must follow the law of Moses. And that is confidence in the flesh. That's the problem as Paul sees it. But here's the solution. Verse 2. It is we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. In other words, that confidence in the flesh is a waste of time. Instead, we boast in Christ. Our confidence is in him. Paul is saying this is the way to rejoicing in him. This is the way to spiritual safety. And so as we look at the rest of this passage, we'll see how that is true for Paul and his life. And we'll be asking, is this true for me? In verses 4 to 6, how Paul has no confidence in the flesh. And in verses 7 to 11, how he has confidence in knowing Christ. So let's dive in. Let's dive in with uh, confidence in the flesh. Most of us at at some point have probably had to write a CV. Uh, A CV is a strange thing, isn't it? This document that you put together essentially boasting about all the great things that you've done, all the qualifications that you have. Uh, When I left school, I was looking for a job in a, a cafe or a shop. 
Um, I was trying to save up to go traveling, just a couple of months of work. And I was a pretty good student at school. Uh, My CV was littered with extracurricular activity. I was a prefect. I was on the rugby team. And my grades weren't that bad either. And I printed off 200 CVs. I walked along Prince's Street. I walked along Rose Street. I walked along George Street. And I handed out all 200 of my CVs. And so I went home that afternoon pretty confident that I'd get that job. That was my CV. And what we get in these verses is Paul's sort of spiritual CV. And it is far more impressive than mine was. Uh, He had plenty to be confident about. See in verse 4, Paul says he has good reason to be confident in the flesh. And then he lists his credentials. He gives us his CV circumcised on the eighth day. He says, I've been through the right ritual. Uh, To be clear, as we go through this list, Paul doesn't think these things that he's listing are bad. They're good things, but he has no confidence in them. And it's worth pausing before we go on as we think about this ritual thing, about how this sort of confidence in the flesh might appear today. Because we live in a nation where some might consider themselves a Christian simply because they were christened or baptized as a baby. Or because they go through the ritual of turning up to church at Christmas and at Easter. I suspect that's probably less likely for those of us in the room. But for those of us in the room, we might still point to the religious ritual. Or if we're honest, in our heart of hearts, rely on it. Our baptism, our participation in the breaking of bread. These aren't necessarily bad things, but we ought to have no eternal confidence in them. Paul C.V. continues, uh, he is of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. I come from the right nation, the right tribe, the best sort of family. Again, there's an obvious danger here for us, isn't there? I think this is actually probably increasingly less common, but those who would say, I'm a Christian, why? Because of their Christian family. Or even just because we live in a Christian sort of nation. Again, it isn't bad to be brought up in a Christian home or in a Christian nation. I trust those can be great blessings. But we must put no confidence in them, ultimately. Paul goes on to say, see at the end of verse 5 and into 6, In regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. And Paul had been a a Pharisee, the strictest and most devoted Jewish group, uh, applying the law of Moses and the traditions of their fathers, living by them to the letter. And even before becoming a Christian and part of the Christian church, persecuting them who, as he saw it, had walked away uh, from Judaism. Again, for us, it might be because we go to the right sort of church, part of the right denomination or whatever it is, confident in our tribe. But Paul says finally, and I think most fundamentally and important for us this morning, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. Before he encountered Jesus, Paul had every reason to believe, he had every confidence that he was good enough, that he would stand righteous before God. And this is so fundamental for us. Because we can really easily slip into that sort of thinking, can't we? Confidence in our righteousness based on the law. And we probably wouldn't call it that today. But how much more confidence do we have in our faith when we feel like we're getting it right? 
If we've got into a good habit of Bible reading and prayer, when we're serving at church, when we've had some good conversations about Jesus with those who don't know him, maybe we've been especially generous or especially gracious or especially selfless or especially servant-hearted. How much more confident are we in our righteousness when that is what our lives look like this week? Again, they are not bad things. But it would be foolish to have any confidence in them for our eternal lives. Friends, isn't it just so easy for us to rely on our spiritual CV, to have confidence in the flesh? Maybe especially today where the culture around us says, be more confident, believe in yourself. You can be whatever you want to be. You can do whatever you want to do. And it's just very easy to employ that sort of thinking without even really thinking about it to our Christian lives, to our eternal confidence. Maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking, that really just is not me. Because it's true, isn't it? All this talk of self-confidence in the culture, it can be really, really overwhelming. And some of us just don't feel that confident. Again, it might be that that's our sort of default. And if it is, then I suspect that the temptation for those of us lacking self-confidence is to employ that sort of thinking to our Christian lives and to our eternal confidence. In other words, you have no eternal confidence at all. Because as you examine your life, you know that you haven't followed God's law. And you're always being told to help the poor, but you basically always ignore the homeless guy at the end of your street. And you're always told that you should be serving at church, but you just don't think there's anywhere you'd be any use. And you're always being told to tell people about Jesus, but, well, you're just a little bit shy. Truth is, you might look at your spiritual CV and think, well, I'm actually a pretty rubbish Christian, really. No eternal confidence at all. And if that's you, you've got to know this morning that that is exactly the same problem as the guy with all the self-confidence. Because whether your confidence is high or your confidence is low, your confidence is in the flesh. Each of us, in our own way, eyes fixed on ourselves and our own efforts. Whether we think we're pretty good or we think we're pretty rubbish, it is self-confidence. Paul gives us his religious CV here, and there's no denying it. It's pretty impressive. He says in verse 4, If someone thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. And yet, see what he says, and we've already read it this morning, in verse 7, Whatever were gains for me, I consider loss. As Paul looks at his extraordinary CV, he says it's worthless. It counts as nothing. You know, I said I handed out 200 CVs that day and I was super self-confident, but that process didn't result in a single job offer. Turned out my CV was worthless. It had counted as nothing. This is what Paul begins by saying. This is the first secret to rejoicing in the Lord. The first secret to your spiritual safety. It is to have no confidence in the flesh. And so however you see yourself this morning, and I guess for most of us, if we're honest, there's probably a bit of both of us in there, isn't there? Whether we look to our own spiritual CV and think we're doing pretty well, or if we do so and can't help but think of ourselves as a bit of a useless Christian, the good news is this. Either way, your spiritual CV counts as nothing. 
And that is extraordinary good news for whoever we are this morning. Because next, Paul says, have confidence in knowing Christ. I once heard this story about a rugby player. I think this is a true story. It was a Saturday. Saturday is game day for the rugby player. And the bus left to the game at 10 a.m. It was a couple of hours drive to where they were playing. But this rugby player, he slept in. He he missed the bus. So he did some quick research. He realized he could still get there. There was a, a train. He jumped on the train. He found a seat. It was a table seat. Excellent. We love a table seat. But a couple of stops in, this super tall man joins him. He's super tall and it's a busy train. So he comes and he sits right opposite him at this table seat. Really annoying. And it's clear this new guy across this, uh, across the table, and he's very tall. He doesn't have much room and he's clearly not happy about that. Then the food trolley comes along. It's a cup of black coffee for the rugby player, some pregame caffeine. And he gets a phone call, and as he twists in his seat to get his phone out of his pocket, his elbow knocks the coffee cup, coffee all over this super tall man sitting opposite him. Really annoyed now, right? And no apology from the rugby player, just a sort of mumbled excuse about a busy train. And then the phone call, it's, uh, it's one of his teammates, and it doesn't take long before they're talking tactics about the game to come, laughing and joking about the opposition, about what they might do when the referee's back is turned. And then they start talking about the referee himself. See, rugby teams, they're very often told who is going to be refereeing them. And they, they know the referee's uh, name, though they've never been refereed by him before. But they've heard some stuff about him, and so they're slating the referee uh, over the phone to one another. It's a couple of hours later. Uh, you can probably see where this is going. Our rugby player, he's made it to the game. He's warming up with his team when this unknown referee emerges from the changing room, and he's super tall. Right? He's coming over to give the usual pre-game chat. Closer he comes. And then our rugby player realizes it's the guy from the train. The guy he'd failed to give any space to. The guy he'd spilt his coffee all over with no apology. The guy he'd spent 10 minutes mouthing off about on the phone to his teammates. If only he'd known. If only he'd known who had come to sit opposite him. He'd never have done any of those things. See, how we know someone is just so important for how we relate to them. And for Paul, there is nothing more important than knowing Christ. Have a look at verse 8 with me. I consider everything, everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus our Lord. This is Paul's safeguard against the false gospel of those arguing for the continued following of Jewish ritual. This is his secret to rejoicing in Jesus. It is knowing him. And so what does it mean to know Jesus? Well, firstly, even as we count our own spiritual CV as worthless, having no confidence in the flesh, see in verse 9, Paul wants to be found in him. Not having a righteousness of his own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of this faith. This is just so central. If this Christian thing is new to you, get this. For the Christian, to be made right by God is to be made right before God. That's what righteousness is. Not ours, but his 
If you are a Christian, be reminded of this. And let me say it again. You are made right by God so that you can be right before God. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, however you feel about your spiritual CV, the truth is no matter how good or bad it looks for you, If we know Jesus, then it's not our CV that matters, but his. And his CV is a perfect CV, having lived a perfect life. See, when Jesus was crucified and he made a way for those of us who know him to stand before God, not pointing to their own righteousness, not confident in their own spiritual CV, but having been given his righteousness. Not the ability to become righteous like him. It's not as though Christians are empowered to get their righteousness up to scratch. To add enough to their own spiritual CV to be right before God. No, Christians are given Jesus' own righteousness. It's a gift given by grace, received by faith. Made right by God to be right before God. This is confidence in knowing Christ. And that's the first element of knowing him in these verses. The second is in verse 10. says this, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Paul wants to be found in Christ, having uh, Christ's righteousness as his own. But here, he also wants to know Christ, having his resurrection as his own. Notice he writes here almost as though he doesn't know Christ. I want to know Christ. By this stage, of course, he does know Christ. He's known him for over 30 years. But he desperately wants to know him more and to become like him. As we experience the power of Christ's resurrection, it is the very same power that raised Christ from the dead that is alive in the Christian today. It is by that power and only by it that we are transformed to live for Jesus and like Jesus today. Not so that we might have a righteousness of our own, but so that we might increasingly live out the righteousness we've been given Not so that we might earn our place before God, that's already given to us, but so that we might live as people of that gift. It's a wonderful promise, this resurrection power today. And it would be all too tempting to stop there. But see, Paul doesn't just want to become like Jesus in his life, but also in his death. For Jesus, there can have been no resurrection without the cross. Just so for the Christian, we cannot experience the power of that resurrection any other way. Because to be a Christian is to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow Jesus. The Christian life, it involves suffering. And that will be absolutely worth it. Not only in this life. Why? Because this is the final hope of the Christian. Becoming like Jesus in his death, that we might become like Jesus in his resurrection. It's the wonderful promise, the sure hope of eternal life, to be raised in glory with him. Friends, anything the world can offer you is garbage compared to that, is it not? 
Whatever it is that you hope for in life. Exam results. A clear diagnosis. A full recovery. Sexual satisfaction. A promotion at work. New house. New car. New church building. Obedient children. A new PB in the gym or at the track. Whatever it is that you find yourself daydreaming about. Friends, whatever it is that you hope for in this life. It is nothing compared to the future hope of eternal life with Jesus. Do you believe that that's true this morning? Just like that hapless rugby player, we cannot relate to Jesus properly. We cannot live the Christian life of following him if we do not know him. Paul wants to know Christ and the wonderful gift of his righteousness. Paul wants to know Christ and be like him in his death and resurrection. It's confidence in knowing Christ. Because for the church in Philippi, this is how they will rejoice in Christ. And this is where their spiritual safety will be found. Just so for us. And so we've got to ask ourselves, what are we doing that we might know Christ more and more? Whether we've known him for a very little time or we've been a Christian for decades, if there is nothing more valuable than knowing him more and more, how are we to do that? There are lots of ways, aren't there? I I trust that what we're doing right now, meeting together as a church, hearing from God's word like this, things like breaking bread together, singing together, serving together, these are all good things. They help us to know Christ more and more. And let's keep doing them. But let me just focus on two things in particular this morning. Two practical ways that we can help ourselves to know Christ more and more. Firstly, read well. And as I say that, um, I'm sure half the people in the room are Brighton and half the people in the room probably slump. Uh, If you're not a big reader, that is okay. You don't need to read lots. That's not what I'm saying. Hear me rightly. Read well. Some options for you. You know, it's just nine weeks till Christmas. Nine weeks, that's 63 days. Could you commit yourself to reading or or even listening? Uh, Just 10 minutes a day. You could read all of John's gospel between now and Christmas if you spent 10 minutes a day doing it. And if you have a real appetite for for reading, there are lots of great books that just devotionally help us to know Jesus. Uh, Here are a couple that I've found uh, really helpful in the last year or so. There's QR codes there for the tech savvy amongst you. If you put your phones up to those, I won't be offended. Get your phones out if you'd like to read those books. Otherwise, ask me about them afterwards. And both these books are excellent. Uh, Again, you could read either of those easily between now and Christmas. If you want to know Jesus more and more, Read well. Secondly, pray more. Uh, Prayer is hard, isn't it? Just acknowledge that. It's very easy to get distracted, to not know what to say, or if we're honest, to get a bit bored. It's hard to see the impact of what we're doing. It can feel like a waste of time, but a a consistent prayer life is powerful. And it always leads to knowing Jesus more and more. If this is the desire of your heart to know him, would you pray more? Simply, you can pray before or after you read if you're going to resolve to do that. Pray whenever you eat. And not just a token prayer of thanks for what you've received, but pray. Pray when you brush your teeth. It doesn't matter. Just whatever you do, pray more. And very often, uh, for me, the problem is that I don't know what to say.
when I come to prayer. Uh, there are lots of things we can do to help us there. There are lots of good prayers in the Bible, and not least in the Psalms, even in Philippians, as you go through it t- uh, together, that can help us, guide us in our prayers. I've also found books like these, uh, for what it's worth, really helpful, and Valley of Vision and Into His Presence, both excellent uh, prayer books that, that you might find uh, helpful in guiding your prayers. But whatever you do, find ways to live a more prayerful life. If you want to know Jesus more and more, pray more and more. We began this morning, didn't we, by thinking about what the culture has to say, the culture around us about self-confidence. Essentially, they say, back yourself, put your mind to it, be more confident in yourself, unlock your true potential. And look, I guess that there probably is some value in that sort of thinking in this life. But for the Christian life, the opposite is true. As we think about our spiritual CV and whether we're really quite pleased with it or think we're a bit of a subpar Christian, it's not be more confident or be less confident. It's just be less of yourself. Think less of yourself. Whatever we think of our spiritual CV, Paul says it's worthless. Take your eyes off yourself. Instead, like our hapless rugby player, knowing someone is so important for how we relate to them. And it is far better to know Jesus and to have his CV for our own. To know Jesus and the hope of eternal resurrection life in him. Jesus himself says where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Friends, this morning would we resolve to know Christ as the treasure of our hearts and having no confidence in the flesh, but eternal confidence in knowing him. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for Jesus. And Lord, we're so sorry for when we fix our eyes on ourselves and our own spiritual CVs where we become obsessed. Either overconfident or underconfident, Lord, we know that we are prone to rely on our own efforts. And so, Lord, as we come to you grateful for your son, Jesus, and all that he's done for us, would you help us to have confidence in knowing him? And by your Holy Spirit this morning, Lord, would you help us to do the sorts of things that will help us to know him more and more? Not for our glory, but for yours. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.